This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Total Saints podcast. This is the top of the weekly pod going to the top of the league, heart of all things, top of the league and Saints FC. Sorry, did I mention top of the league? Yes, yes, I know we're not anymore, but who cares? Anyway, a pleasure to be with you again, sharing our collective thoughts on anything and everything going on in and around St. Mary's. Before we get too giddy and excitable, we're recording on Remembrance Sunday, so obviously Total Saints podcast would like to firstly pay our respects to all the military and civilian servicemen and women throughout the years and all their contributions, lest we forget. Okay, on to the pod. Dan is away on holiday this week, albeit given the recent government changes, that unfortunately means being locked down at home, but we still have Steve and Glenn with us, as we do PA Media's biggest fan, Simon Peach. Good evening, chaps. Evening. Evening. Glenn, we'll get to the game itself in a minute, but still buzzing from Friday night or not? Yeah, pretty much. It's it was just a it was just a special thing to go top of the league, really, wasn't it? And um, it, it certainly added added something to what was at the end of the day quite a routine uh, win. But it was uh, no, it was it was good to good to see that league table, and it was good to bombard social media with a load of rubbish about us being top of the league. I enjoyed that very much. Um, so yeah, all good. Indeed, and uh, Simon, obviously we're down to fourth now at time of recording, but uh, the same as Glenn and uh, myself, an enjoyable sort of 40 hours or so? Yeah, well, we've got to remember that there will be ups and downs in the title race, so we need to just we just need to stay calm. No, <laughs> no it, was a, it was a really special moment. I, I, don't, it, I did feel weirdly emotional. I don't know why. Maybe it was just the sheer amount of gin I'd consumed while watching a game, but yeah, it, I don't know. It's just, I, was, I wasn't even a year old the last time we were top of the table, so this was a... This is like the other half's a whole fat. She's seen him go top of the table for goodness sake. So it was just it was just nice to have that moment. And yeah, the last Friday night going didn't go too well. So it was just nice to have, like I don't know. It's just one of those moments like going to the San Siro. Even lost even though we lost Inter Milan, there was eight thousand of us there, and it was just like a moment of this is another statement moment for us on the on the way back up. And it was just just kind of cool. Yeah, I uh, I saw um I think before the game that we'd. Uh... All the games that we played on a Friday night at home in the Premier League, we were lost by an aggregate of 15 to 2. So, yeah, as you say, it was nice to finally uh, turn one round the other way. And, uh, Steve, a change of scenery for you. Um, you've decided to swap the UK lockdown for a Dubai visit. Um, TSP going global tonight, but uh, as people potentially tell from the delay on the line, how's life out there? Oh, it's lovely. Uh, nice, and, nice and hot. And, um, yeah, I've been, uh, been really enjoying it. Um, it was slightly cooler today. It was uh, down, down to an absolutely terrible 26 degrees. Um, when we had a little bit of little bit of a shower first thing this morning, but um, no, it's been great, and um, it was good Friday night to um, meet up with the Dubai Saints 
Um, there's a group of about, I think, 10 of us in there in the end uh, watching the game. Obviously, didn't kick off here until midnight. So there were a few of us who were um, slightly um, slightly worse to wear by the end of the game. Let's, uh, let's say that much. Yeah, and as you say, I think, uh, what's it, you're four hours ahead out there, aren't you? I know it's dark at the moment. Of course, yeah, it'll be about uh, sort of 11 o'clock in the evening. But what can you see out of your uh, apartment window in Dubai during the day? Sand and camels? Um, no, I've got a... Um, I've got another building kind of um, in the way of most of it, but um, kind of to the left, I can um, sort of see o- sort of over over the edge of a sort of small industrial unit. Basically, you've then got the water, um, and then to the um, to the right, there's um, the Dubai Marina, um, which is all very nice. And it's it's weird on a map; it looks um, the marina looks tiny. Um, and I both I walked I walked the length of it and back again yesterday, and it was. Um, I think 15 kilometres in total. Um, so it's, um, yeah, the, the, the sheer size of everything here is absolutely insane. Well, as always, we appreciate you guys getting together to chat. Um, yes, Saints may not be the top of the Premier League at time of recording. However, for more than 24 hours or so during the weekend, Ralph and the lads were deservedly in first place and we're still going to celebrate that very much tonight. That achievement helped to, we believe, officially break the record for most Premier League table screenshots ever taken in a single night. In fact, despite Donald Trump's wish, the screenshot totals are still being counted. Anyway, let's move swiftly on from politics. This episode will, of course, see us enjoyably laud the current success of our wonderful football club we'll discuss some of the key talking points from Friday night's historic 2-0 win against Newcastle and hear Ralph Hasenhutl's thoughts on going top we'll also answer a couple of questions that have come in from listeners during the week and if we're really lucky with no game to preview during this pod because of the international break we're hopeful Sean Dyche and Roy Hodgson may be able to make the most of some free time by dropping in later on before we do get going a quick shout out to Dan Campbell in Australia for becoming our latest TSP patron via patreon.com slash total saints podcast Dan good to have you on board again and thanks for your support okay let's go for it Underpinned by our TSP patrons, this is TSP 135, top of the league. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacore. And the Athletics, Dan Sheldon. Yes, the Premier League's first ever fixture, Sheffield United versus Manchester United, was on the 15th of August 1992. Never since that day had Southampton Football Club found themselves in first position. However, on Friday the 6th of November 2020, remember, remember the 6th of November, that all changed thanks to a dominant 2-0 win versus Newcastle United. After 28 years of the Premier League, Saints reached the summit on merit. Indeed, the last time that, uh, as Simon mentioned earlier, we were on top of England's old first division was in 1988 on the 10th of September. And just to give everyone an essence of how long ago that was, Phil Collins' groovy kind of love was the UK number one on that day. Steve, before we get to the game itself, as someone messaged me late on Friday, quote, bet you guys are glad you carried on the podcast now. How right they are. What a wonderful moment for any Saints fan around the world. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been it's been a good couple of days, hasn't it? Uh, sort of reflecting on uh, on everything, as as Glenn says, all the um, the constant sort of repetitive nature of um, of social media is um, has actually been enjoyable for once, unlike um, sort of what we usually end up having to put up with. Um, certainly, what we had to put up with um, just over a year or so ago. So um, yeah, it's been it's been a great couple of days. I mean, apart from the first first three games, it's been it's been a great season so far. Um, you just kind of hope that we can keep up keep up the momentum and um, and push on. And Peachy, the uh, four of us, as you mentioned, uh, are all various stages uh, old enough to remember Saints uh, last being top of that first division in 1988. After two games, that was so they're uh, a bit better off this time around. Um, even though it is early in the season, and of course, you know, we know people like Ralph are going to be very much focused on the longer picture. Important that all of us really sort of treasure and enjoy the last few days. Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, I, I, I expected more when I was posting on social media uh, on Friday night, people taking the mick a bit more, but they didn't. I don't I think I don't understand. Maybe maybe it is the fact that people, commentators keep mentioning the 9-0, that people understand it a bit better, that it did mean 
that little bit more. We knew it was temporary. It's like when England's fans sing football's coming home. It doesn't, I, I know the Croatians took it as we were assuming we were going to win the World Cup. No, it's just our way of, it's our humour, it's our way of just enjoying the moment. And yeah, it was brilliant. And it's just, it's nice to be able to enjoy watching our team again. I think that's, uh, our, the last few years, yeah, there's been some positive moments and, uh, and some positive results, but we've got a style. We've got likable players that, understand a system that uh, you can't really ask much more as a club of our size than, than what we're getting at the moment. And on the pitch, Glenn, as we mentioned, uh, another 2-0 home win, three in a row now. And despite not having Danny Ings or Ryan Bertrand, uh, a dominant Saints performance from start to finish. Yeah, I think that was the most impressive thing about it, to be honest, the, the fact that we uh, we managed to sort of juggle the first 11 to cover a couple of injuries. Um, and, and yeah, no, let's not understate it. Those are key players as well. You know, Danny Ings is our best player. Ryan Bertrand is the one that we really do not have a replacement for. So we managed to replace those two and still very, very comfortably, you know, win a Premier League game at home. It's another home win as well, which is good given the, um, you know, the amount that's been written and said about our, uh, our poor home form. So, yeah, overall, it was a, it was a great night's work and we, uh, we deserve to win by more than the 2-0, obviously, but we'll, you know, we'll take 2-0. That's fine. Yeah. And look, I don't want to get too deep into the game straight away, but I thought it was really evident actually watching it, Glenn, that, uh, you start to see Saints as one of those sides now where they, they play that sort of ball around the edge of their area and try and lull teams like Newcastle forward and then really exploit them and get in behind them. And that was sort of noticeable on several occasions through the game. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I was impressed with Vestergaard again, the, the amount of times that he sort of like produced one pass that went into, you know, all the way along the ground into Che Adams' feet. The amount of times he did that, which takes out about six Newcastle players. Um, and you, you talk about our style of play. It's, it's great for finding out the players on the opposition who don't really fancy it because we're in their faces the whole game. Now, St. Maximin scored against us last year, scored the winning goal, and he's, he's widely accepted to be sort of like their best player. And he didn't want to know. He did not want to know. We whacked him a couple of times, um, once fairly and once not so fairly with, um, with Romeo, a Romeo classic. But um, after that, he, he just didn't want to know, and his body language was appalling. And that's, you know, that's that's what you've, you know, you know you're going to have to work and you're going to have to do the ugly things um, when you come up against Southampton now. And if we keep if we keep playing that like like that, there'll be many players and many teams who, who do not fancy it. Yeah, I think as you say, it's the sort of the ugly side of the the game that Ralston stalled the sort of uh, the fouls and stopping uh, counter attacks and things like that. Um, John Q said, uh, I thought it wasn't worth us turning up for games without Danny. Wink emoji. Walcott straight into Ralph's team. Rare for new signings under Ralph. KWP. Lovely lad. Really good pick up. Fair play to Jack Stevens for coming in and doing a job for the team on the left. Not easy for him either. Um, Simon, there was a great quote that uh, Ralph said after the game um we've not invested a lot of money but we have invested a lot of time do you think that that sort of time is uh, essentially epitomized now by not only the organization and never say die attitude that he's probably installed in the team but also by the the belief that he's given that entire team you know whichever 11 are going out on the pitch you you can get the job done guys yeah i think he's 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 got he has a better understanding of the characters that he has at his disposal as well I mean, I, I can't help compare due, due to my, for those that don't know that are listening, I, I cover Manchester United for a living predominantly. And so I know what it looks like to have a, <laughs> to be following a team that doesn't really have any style or, or structure apart from counter-attacking. Southampton are a team full of players that understand their roles and enjoy what they do. I mean, the fact that Theo Walcott, is, look, he's a lovely bloke, as we can all tell from all the interviews. He's he's come in with a smile on his face. And that, he's the right personality that, that you need if you are going to bring someone in. And the way he was chasing and harassing, I mean, the fact that he was in that area and working that hard at the very start of the game for Che Adams, uh, his goal said a lot. And um, look at the way we worked to get the ball back for the second goal. Sean Longstaff, someone that United had quoted 50 million for last year, looked like a pub league player at that moment. He just was completely out of it. As you said, as we were saying earlier, the players that we play against are made uncomfortable. And that is because of the work that we put in on the training field. And that is really evident. A lot of the pre-game chat was about Danny obviously missing Steve. Uh, we all wish him well, of course, in his recovery. But focus inevitably shifted to Shea Adams and whether he could take on the the goal-scoring responsibility now. I know it's only one game without Danny, but I thought he was excellent from start to finish. Glenn gave him man of the match in the GDLC ratings this week and a wonderful strike to make it 1-0. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I can 
particularly argue with uh, with Glenn's ratings. Um, for that, I, I think, I mean, to be honest, I don't think anybody necessarily stood out, but I think it was noticeable that everybody was good. There were no there were no bad or even vaguely average performances. I didn't think, and perhaps the only disappointment is that we didn't kind of go to the jugular, similar to similar to what I said after the Everton game, that we didn't kind of go to their throat and go for go for a sort of three, four or five nil win that that our performance possibly deserved. Um, but certainly Adams up front leading the line. It just it just goes to show what a bit of confidence does for for some types of personalities. And he's clearly one of those types that if he's got if he's got a little bit of um a little bit of confidence about him, all of a sudden he's he's two or three times the player. And the way that players were feeding off of him and like Walcott's Walcott's runs were a little bit a little bit iffy, but that I think part of that comes from the fact that he doesn't really play as a centre forward very often. But the fact that Walcott was kind of dropping back and playing in that sort of um between role, between sort of linking between um Gineppo and Armstrong and then slightly behind Adams kind of gave us an even more flexibility, which completely threw Newcastle. They I mean they had absolutely no idea what, what they were what they were trying to kind of follow and pick up at any any given moment. The amount of space that we got between the lines all the time. I mean, as you as you said um, just now, that invested us passing between the lines. The number of times we we took five six players out of the game just with one simple pass, and it wasn't even a long ball. It was a it was a pass along the ground, and it was. And all of a sudden, we're, we're then rushing forward. And I think the only, as I say, the only disappointment really was that we didn't win by more. I thought it was interesting after Can I just jump in? Vestergaard's passing. I just love Vestergaard's passing. Yeah. What a guy. Yeah. I, I think he's really he's really growing into it now, isn't he? And uh, got that confidence. So uh, I was just going to say uh, as well, I thought it was interesting, um, Steve Bruce saying after the game that they spent two days talking about the press and counter-press of Saints, yet they couldn't do anything with it. It does tell you you know, how well-drilled um, Ralph has got the team and everything. But I suppose the, the slight concern, as Steve mentioned there, Glenn, was that Saints couldn't find that second or third or fourth goal a bit earlier on that their performance probably deserved. Um, 61% possession, 15 shots to four, eight on target compared to... Newcastle's two and obviously one of those was very late on eight corners to three etc um, but it remained a nervous sort of one nil for quite a long period of the game and you always fear don't you particularly when Andy Carroll comes on that we're going to be made to pay for it uh, thankfully not on this occasion at 9.35pm you tweeted to say Armstrong has played so many SHIT passes today and I think it was about 9.36 Glenn when he made it 2 nil. so uh, yet another TSP yeah. assist there and uh, look I mean obviously a nice goal for him to cap it and uh, it meant we could all kind of relax and enjoy those last few minutes yeah yeah it was I mean the, the second goal was coming uh, you wouldn't have believed it if you'd listened to the Sky commentators they were just too busy saying oh Saints are going to re- regret all these missed chances but at the end of the day you cannot legislate for goalkeepers making saves like that guy did from Romeo that was an unbelievable save that was like the one Matt Ryan saved from Vestergaard at the tail end of last season it's just ridiculous you've got no right to get to it and you know a little fingertip tips it onto the bar the, the only really bad miss i would say was walcott's one at the end of the at the end of the first half where he, he turned inside and and in that situation you you just know that danny ings would have scored but that that's always been the the criticism of uh, walcott and probably why he's never really become the the sort of world beating player because his, his his finishing is is a little bit ropey sometimes but uh no armstrong's goal was um yeah, it was it was a relief, but again, it's another it's another great goal and a tribute to the way Ralph set the team up and how he wants them to play. That, uh, as uh, Simon said, we nick nick the ball off a long staff and he's he's there doing some sort of crappy splits type thing, praying that someone else is going to bail him out. But he he just did you know, it, it, and it was a, it was a really good finish. It reminded me a little bit of Gineppo's finish um, a couple of weeks ago, where he just. Just took his time, sold the defender, and just passed it into the corner, and um, that was yeah, it was uh, it was great. But I still stand by what I said about Armstrong because the amount of attacks that he kind of butchered with his by underhitting the pass, including the one that um, Theo got trashed on, which should have been a penalty. Um, but but there you go. 
But uh, no, I, I stand by that. But it's, if, if that in any small way inspired Armstrong <laughs> to stick the ball in the net, then I'll take it. We'll, we'll take it, won't we? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think uh, as you signed, uh, kind of said there, I think he had about three Newcastle defenders. Uh, Armstrong did dance him while he was trying to work out where he was going to put it. But uh, um, I suppose the the one thing, of course, Simon, uh, the downside maybe of all of this at the moment is that none of us have got you know, the opportunity, so to speak, to be able to get to some areas and be a part of the journey. Um, I suppose nothing probably the way we think about it would be more Saints than to win the Premier League title in a season when fans weren't allowed in. But uh, joking aside, though, I mean, Ralph obviously made the point of saying that the team have probably been slightly advantaged by not having fans in attendance as it slowly allowed them to build their game up and get used to the style Ralph wants and, you know, not have the groans of sort of sideways and backwards passes and things like that. Um, I suppose even a full St Mary's on Friday could have led to more pressure and or nerves and or expectation for the players and things like that. So what do you make of all that? Do you think it's fair or do you think it's just a bit of a coincidence? Well, you had to go to the one guy that is in stadiums, didn't you? No, I I think at first, I think when Project Restart got underway, I do think it helped just because there was that, well, it's been going back years this, these struggles at home and an understandable fan frustration. I don't think it's fair this season to think that way or for, for people to suggest that because I don't, yeah, I know that it'll probably take a few months, but when fans are allowed back, whether it's 2,000 or 20,000, they're, they're just going to be so happy to be there and everyone will be happy for them to be there. I don't, And I don't think it should necessarily bring any extra pressure. I understand when there is a system that's being brought in that takes time to get used to, like the constant resets, when Saints manage things really well, don't we? Like on on Friday night, even if we're two-thirds of the way up the pitch, if there's no options, we'll recycle it, maybe all the way back to the goalkeeper and start again. At first, maybe the fans would start getting annoyed by that, but now I think we all understand. We all can all see the benefits of playing football like that. You can't always be pushing and probing because you will lose the ball and you'll be caught out of position. So I don't think that's probably fair now. I think it, I think it was perhaps when it restarted, um, but not now. Yeah, I think whether we're uh, in the stadium or watching on telly, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be confident when Alex McCarthy takes a touch and then decides no, which defender he's no. going to pass it to. But uh, Glenn, you sounded like you were going to say something there. Yeah, I think you're making a dangerous assumption there that people are actually going to have watched the game with any sort of football brain. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I do, I do think that when people get back in the stadiums, it won't take too long before <laughs> people just, re, just revert back to, oh yeah. God, we're going sideways and backwards. There's a lot of built-up frustration. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you would like to think that people would um, actually think about it a little bit and examine why we're doing well and mm. what would be, what you know, what would be most advantageous to the team uh, to, to enable us to keep doing well. But um, I remain. Do, do you think the atmosphere will improve? Because, look, I, I'm as good as anyone. I go to a lot of Saints games, and unless I'm in the Northern, I'm not really singing as much as or as frequently as I could. Do you think that will change now that people have had it taken away for potentially what? Well, was, what was the last game? It was when Jan Valerie was playing. So yeah, that's it was Newcastle at home. It was, home, was it? it was Newcastle yeah. at home, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I speak for myself, it'd be interesting to get Stephen Glenn's view, but I think it's almost like it's going to take a bit of time to get back into the swing again of, of fans. You know, there's almost going to be that sort of like you're going to your first ever game. You don't really know what to do and what to say and what to cheer and things like that. It's going to take a bit of time maybe to get up to speed again. But I think hopefully what I would say is, you know, Saints are clearly doing well and you want to kind of think most people will go back and say, right, you know, they've done well without us here. So what we need to do is encourage them as they have been playing and not start to get back into those old ways too quickly. But yeah, Glenn, Steve, I don't know what you think. Uh, I, I think it'll be... It'll be interesting because when um, when football grounds first became all seaters, the atmosphere kind of drops a little bit. Because and my theory on that was is that people could actually see where you were. You know, you weren't in with a sort of like a big crowd of people. You know, you had an individual seat. And when people first get back into the ground, you assume it's going to be distanced, so you'll be even more visible and easy to pick out if you uh, if you shout and uh, shout and sing too much. So I think there's a as a natural sort of reservedness that some people have that may be there, but the vocal fans on, you know, the, the fans who are normally vocal will probably be more vocal simply because they've, yeah, not had this for six, eight months or whatever it, whatever it is and whatever it will be. But uh, no, I would, I would hope it would be a would be a happier place generally. Mm. Well, speaking of Ralph, here's what our wonderful Austrian had to say post game, speaking to SouthamptonFC.com. Yeah, I think it was important today to show again um, that we 
we also can win against such, uh, this team. We haven't done it so far since I'm here, and and uh, this was the goal for today, um, and to show ourselves that we are one step further in our development now. And I think we could see that we had good solutions with the ball, against the ball. We have a very committed, uh, good organized, and also replace Ingzi and, and, and Ryan. We couldn't see that there was a break in our game, and this is, for me, the most important message that we immediately uh, showed up again and, and, and scored fantastic and could score a little bit more often, I think, but in the end it was a, a good result. Yeah, I must say that uh, we, we definitely learned a lot, and uh, the, the way we play in the moment is, is brave, is good organized, uh, with a good balance of taking risk or, or not, and uh, yeah, against the ball, I think we are uh, definitely one of the best organized teams in the league. And, and, and when we now also start to uh, play with the ball very well, then uh, everything is possible. I'm happy for for, for the fans. Uh, it's it's a, a good moment huh, to 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 watch the table, uh, and um, yeah, if it's only for a night, it's also okay. I think for them it's fantastic. Uh, I think we have never been there, and it's it's history for them. And and uh, we, we last last year we had negative history. This this year we have some positive stuff and hopefully there come some more positive things Steve just to finish on Ralph then obviously this is nothing new to him he's largely been a, a winner through his managerial career and been top of the Bundesliga before and gotten off to consistently good starts in seasons as I wrote about on totalsaints.co.uk last week etc but from a club point of view Steve when some may have been encouraging maybe the Saints board to remove Ralph 12 months or so ago the reward, I suppose we can call it now, and uh, I know there is still a, a long way to go in this season of keeping him and uh, sticking to their strategy and their plan and that sort of thing has paid off, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, there was, I mean, as you say, there was trepidation back in um, back in the latter part of last year, and I think with with good reason. I mean, <laughs> you only have to look at the look at the results at that time, and it was it was a dark time, and you and he, he kind of looked at it. He was as lost as the rest of us. But yeah, I mean, all, all credit to to both him for turning it all around and making sure that he kind of got back to the ethos that um, that he said that he wanted to impose when he when he first arrived. We're now we're now on to what two years two years that he's been in charge now, and I mean for us that's quite a long time. It's one of those where you kind of kind of just got to make the most of it while while it's still around because I mean let's face it, the longer the longer he goes on. Doing a good job as he as he is as he is doing at the moment, um, the less likely it is that he's going to be around for the for the sort of long term, because there are going to be clubs with more resources and I mean ultimately just a, a bigger a bigger job for him that are going to be available um, in the presumably not too distant future. I mean we could we could all identify probably two or three bigger clubs who will probably be looking to change their manager in the next eighteen months or so. Um, I mean, only only one team can win the title every year. That's the spirit. <laughs> um, Can't have a good thing for long. <laughs> Um, and just finally then, Glenn, I know we touched on uh, him <laughs> earlier, but I just wanted to mention um, Theo as well, obviously. I know Patrick Fowler, thanks Patrick, had sent a note through just about Theo as well. Um, it was his 350th Premier League appearance, and after 14 years and 314 days since his last Saints game at St Mary's, he once again played uh, almost the full 90 minutes for us. Um, lots of energy, probably should have scored in the first half, as you mentioned, but put it wide. And a, a great sort of post-match interview where, again, you can clearly see that he's enjoying being back at the club. What did you make of his performance over? Raw and how good was it seeing him in uh, a red and white shirt back at St Mary's again? Yeah, I just think he's been great ever since he came in. I mean, I, I always remember the, the 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 show that we did before the transfer window closed, and we were talking about do we need a winger or a striker, and we've signed Walcott, and he can play on both wings and up front, and he has done. He's played three games, three different positions. He's been very very positive in what he's added in in all three positions in all three games, and he's. He's done exceptionally well so far, and I, I think to the wider footballing world, he's a player that's been kind of written off. You know, they thought he, you know, he, he'd gone to the graveyard that was Everton before this season, um, where sort of players who have fallen out of favour with your, you know, with your traditional top six tend to go. And his career was just kind of winded down, and um, it's it's given him a new lease of life, and it's it's lovely to see. I, I like I love the interview where he was talking about. His last game at St Mary's was partnering Ricardo Fuller and Kenwin Jones yeah, up front. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, now, yeah. Those those two players, whatever you think of them, it just seems, and it is so long ago, 
Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem that long ago to me. I mean, it's, it's quite funny when you go back to the top of the league thing, people talking about 1988 and saying um, <laughs> that I was one or I wasn't born. I'm like, I was 20. I remember it very well. <laughs> I, know, I know. I was seven, but I can't say I remember it as well as I remember this. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, an interesting one uh, for sure. I, I know lots of people have been talking about the fact that he was obviously at Everton. They were the top of the league. And then as soon as he's come to us, uh, we're now top of the league and they're not. So it's interesting. But uh, look, there's no doubt in it was a very memorable night and weekend for Saints. I'm not sure they've ever been so popular. I've already been on the TalkSport twice and Radio 5 Live this weekend enjoyably discussing Saints but uh, trying not to get too carried away obviously. In case you missed it but would like to listen back, here is Tom from Saints FC Podcast and myself talking to Chris Warburton and Eleanor Oldroyd over the weekend and thanks to the BBC for allowing us to play the clip in the pod. is the Total Saints podcast proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons what you want exactly uh, can we get ahead of the curve here on this program do you think Ellie Should we? can we just say we'll try and do. Southampton are the new Leicester City and they're going to win the Premier League and, and we, can, we can say we can be the first program to call it and, and if it doesn't happen no one will remember so, so you know, so, so the, so the US networks are not calling the election. <laughs> yeah, but you are. I think I think you might might. I don't want to kind of put stick my neck out, but you might possibly be jumping the gun <laughs> you at this point. You if you count the votes in Pennsylvania and Nevada, <laughs> yeah. Southampton uh, will win the Premier League. <laughs> Southampton are though top of the top flight in English football for the first time in 32 years. It's the first time ever that they've been top of the Premier League. Amazing. Che Adams and Stuart Armstrong scoring the goals as they beat Newcastle United 2-0 at St Mary's last night. The club have tweeted the Premier League table and then just the words, stop the count, uh, which is excellent. Here's their manager, Ralph Hassenhutl, on being top of the table. It sounds nice for our fans, I think. They will love it. They will make a picture from the from the table and... Uh, for us, it's nice to watch, but um, it shouldn't kill the hunger for more. It, 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 we should stay hungry and, and should get the feeling that everything is possible with this team because we are we are not scared of any opponent at the moment, and this is a good signal, I think. Uh, let's speak to a couple of Southampton fans. Tom Parker joins us from the Saints FC podcast. Hello, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. You might think there's only one Southampton podcast. You would be completely and utterly wrong. Uh, ben Stanfield is from the Total Saints podcast. Hello, Ben. Morning, Chris. You two hate each other. We love each other. It's a friendly rivalry. <laughs> it's, a friendly ri- it's not like Southampton Portsmouth of the, of the podcast world. Uh, no, not at all, obviously. Um, Tom, right, first of all, you, you, you must feel you're in dreamland here. What's going on? It's it's a strange world right now, uh, and it's a strange Premier League. But I think we deserve it. We played fantastically well last night. We had a, a shaky start to the season, but every player for Southampton, both in the initial eleven and then anyone who comes off the bench, is doing brilliantly. And I think they'll fear no one. Uh, they, they, you know, last night they were wonderful. Newcastle are a good team. They're made to look very ordinary by Southampton. And even without Danny Ings, we looked deadly yes. up front. So. It's a very exciting time. That's the point, isn't it? You're going to win the league, Ben. Well, <laughs> you know, we've just gone into another lockdown, Chris, haven't we? It probably makes sense that we don't really risk any more Premier League action. We probably should just draw a line oh, out of so? the That'll uh, be the end of season. Think, Good yeah. idea, yes. That probably makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but what about your man, Hassan Hootl? Um, because as one of our listeners is uh, pointing out to me, this is uh, Mark in Chandler's Ford. Hello, Mark. He's saying, people may not know, but our manager, Ralph Hassan Hootl, got RB Leipzig into the Champions League a couple of years ago. Outstanding leader of men. It's no fluke that Southampton and FC are where we are today up the Saints thank you for that Mark did you think when Hassan Hootel got the job did you think is this a top guy here yeah I think um, you know there's something about him Chris just his personality his charisma from the day that he walked into Staplewood um, compared to maybe some of the managers we would had recent times and I think the team you know as Tom says there I find myself nodding along um, it just epitomizes everything about Ralph Hassan Hootel you know the passion the commitment the organisation, the never-say-die attitude, they are absolutely representing him out on that football pitch now. Just devastating in a way that you, you're not actually there to enjoy this, Tom, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's very sad, I think, for, for fans uh, not to be able to 
to watch them, particularly our home form over recent years has been pretty torrid. Uh, you know, if you've been a home fan for Saints, you've not seen many wins. So now for us to be, I think that's our third 2-0 win on the bounce at home. We're making mm. some good teams look very, very, uh, very normal. And I think, yeah, it's very sad for, for fans not to be there. But, you know, the team is lifting the spirits of the people of Southampton. Uh, everyone can see the hard work and the industrious nature. And also they, they play the game with a smile on their face. They seem to be enjoying themselves. And that's that's really great to see. And it seems to be a bit of a rule at the moment that if you've got Theo Walcott in your side, you're going to be top of the league. Because uh, he was at Everton, top of the league, uh, has come to you guys on loan. And now you're top of the league for now. Um, right. Can we just ask, because Ellie and I were going through a little bit of a list off the tops of our head uh, earlier on of, of the greatest ever Southampton players. Uh, so many come to mind, of course. And uh, then we got on to cult heroes as well. Mm. Uh, there is a distinction between those two things. Uh, one from each of you. Greatest player and cult hero. Tom, first. Uh, greatest player has to be Matt Letizia, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. The best, most genius player I think we've ever seen. Cult hero is probably the best player that never was. A Danish forward we signed on loan from Barcelona called Ronnie Eklund, who played a handful of games for Saints, looked amazing, uh, but then had really bad injuries. So for Saints fans, he's kind of the what could have been of that early Premier League era. OK, and Ben? Yeah, I'd probably go with Matt Letizia as well, but just to change it up uh, on that instance, I'd probably say Ricky Lambert, just in, in modern terms, Chris. And cult hero for me, um, Marion Paha is just, uh, again, someone oh, that yeah. uh, Saints fans will remember, kept us up in the 98-99 season and uh, never quite, you know, really um, epitomised the ability that he could have done, unfortunately, due to injury, but a, a really talented player. Neither of you saying George Ware's cousin, which, which is a shame. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I just very quickly ask the two of you, because I was listening to um, Five Live last night with Darren and uh, Jermaine, talking about the fact that Ralph Hasenhutl is now third favourite to take over the Man United job. And, and if you can do this without swearing at 8.46 on a Saturday morning, w- what do you think of the idea that, that he might be poached by a so-called bigger club? I think when he came into Southampton, he made a point of saying that he wanted to make a name for himself, Ellie, and uh, the only way that he was really going to do that was by making Southampton successful. I think we have to appreciate, you know, we are a small fish in a big pond in some circumstances. Hopefully we can keep him a bit longer. Of course, he signed a new four-year deal in the summer. It's still the early stages of that, but I think it's only, um, you know, sensible that the better Saints do, the more potential suitors are going to come to the surface. Hmm. Listen, guys, uh, enjoy it while it lasts and let's see how long it lasts for. But thanks very much indeed. Uh, And all the best with the podcast as well. Tom Parker from the Saints FC podcast, Ben Stanfield from the Total Saints podcast. We don't even know if there there might be more Southampton podcasts, Ellie. Who who knows? (laughs) Uh, Jolly good. So Southampton, top of the Premier League. It's 8.47. (laughs) Hi guys, I'm Danny Ings and you're listening to the Total Saints Podcast. Okay, to finish up this week, we have a couple of listener questions to get through. But before we do that, you may remember a few weeks ago that Sean Dyche joined us on TSP. Glenn, in case they can't remember, what do you think Dyche makes of Southampton going top on uh, Friday night? I don't care. I don't care what Southampton are doing. All I care about is Burnley. Burnley were on pay-per-view. Burnley are made for pay-per-view. Did you see it? No <laughs> wins as yet. Absolute rubbish. Never mind. 1495 down the drain. We haven't won yet. We need to win. Who's top? I don't care. <laughs> he hasn't lost it. Simon, uh, word reached me that you happen to do a pretty good impression of uh, Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson. I don't, uh, is it good? Can't, is it... can't be worse than what I've just done. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, is that right? And if so, will you showcase your talent with our global listeners? Crystal Palace won 4 1 at the weekend. Roy, what do you make of it? Well, quite frankly, it was a wonderful game down at... I don't even know where they were playing. You've got to, I was expecting a Saints question. All right, come on then. Uh, quite frankly, <laughs> yes, uh, Samantha won a lot of my Malmo side back in the day, well, back in uh, Sweden, and we were... Uh, yes, Crystal Palace as well. We're doing, frankly, very good, and I'm very happy with the way that Abele Eze has come in and really hit the ground running. It's just unfortunate for Simon Pitch that he had Wilfred Zahar in his fancy team. Oh dear, Simon! I've got to say, you put you put Glenn to absolute shame there. Right, and uh, oh, that's uh, amazing. What a talented bunch we are, eh? I'm not. I'm, not, I'm definitely not. Sam Wallace of the Telegraph can do a better yeah. one than me. 
There we go. I was trying. He, to... he was my inspiration. Yeah. Well, I think you've nailed it. So uh, hopefully made everyone laugh. So well done. So Steve, uh, just before I uh, try my uh, one that's not even sport related, uh, have you got any impressions you can do? Um, oh God. Um, no, I don't think so. No. Well, wasn't Steve that? Wasn't Steve doing that impression of that um... woman on the line earlier on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For those that don't know, before we started this so call... Did the, did the woman actually answer, answer that yeah, number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're yeah. going to leave this in, but yeah, Steve, uh, yeah, we tried to get Steve on <laughs> Skype. It wasn't working. So Steve <laughs> sent me a Dubai number. Uh, I rang it, and uh, a lady answered who... I'm going to say she was speaking for about 60 seconds before I decided that it probably wasn't the uh, sort of lobby of your hotel or anything like that, Steve. It turned yeah, out you, you missed, a, it it turned out you missed a zero out of the number, Steve, right? So. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we got you the second time round. Yeah, my left her going. You just left her talking. I don't know what you're expecting <laughs> to suddenly change. I didn't know she what she was saying. Oh, my bad. This is me. I was going to ask for room 16, but I didn't know what she was saying. So uh, there we go. Oh dear. Anyway, bizarrely, albeit a little rusty these days, I used to be able to do uh, Through the Keyholes, Lloyd Graceman and David Frost, so uh, that's about as much as my uh, talents can muster. So, uh, <clears throat> right, I need to get into character. I've been practicing this, but uh, it's been a little while, right? Let's look at the clues. Loves cooking. A Cambridge graduate, always on time. David, it's over to you. Thanks, Lloyd. And for those of you playing at home, here's whose house it is. <laughs> anyway, I told you it was rusty. I'm lost for words. <laughs> right, okay, let's get back to... Uh, I know, I know. Let's get back yeah, to some... Cut that out, Alex. <laughs> let's get back to some uh, listener questions. So we had uh, some listener questions in over the last few days so thanks very much for uh, sending them in um the first one is from uh, callum in brussels and callum says do you guys think enough is being made of rouse away record with saints the win at villa last week made it 14 away wins during his time with saints as many as ronald Koeman achieved with the club however with arguably a less technically talented and experienced squad ralph has achieved it in four less games than Koeman did 34 compared to 38. Unless I'm mistaken, only Liverpool Man City have won more away games than Saints since the start of last season. Anyway, it feels to me like it's not generally being discussed as much as it should have been within Southampton circles this week, so I'm interested in the pod's view. Keep up the great work with TSP. Cheers, Callum, a Saint now living and working in Brussels. Um, Simon, coming to you on that then, do you think enough has been made of uh, Ralph's away achievements? I think it was last season. Um we couldn't move for, for stuff around it, but perhaps not since then. It, it's just kind of, we've got into the point now where we assume we can, we can go away and get a result, which is a real, and I, I know we haven't been doing, we hadn't been doing well at home. So it was natural. We'd have to do better away, but now we're going to every game thinking that we can do something, but it, it is a good point. I just think that this is just a fun time to be a Saints fan. And as one of, uh, one of us on the pod's already said that it's not going to be last for very long because Ralph's going to jump ship at the first opportunity. So <laughs> we've got to make the most of it. Yeah, yeah. Steve, what do you reckon, just briefly um, on that? So Callum's question about whether Ralph achieving 14 wins in 34 games, you know, with the squad that he's maybe got and the hard work he's had to do the last 12 months is really uh, enough to be made of it. Um, I think I agree. I agree with Peachy, to be honest. I think that towards the back end of last season, basically every every away, obviously every game was televised. And in all of our away games, they kept mentioning the fact that we were um, like third in the away league table, but second from bottom in the home one. So I think I think everyone was kind of well aware that we were that we were pretty special away from home last season, despite despite the fact that we really sort of struggled sort of as a general entity, I suppose, for the first probably three months or so of the season. But this, yeah, as as Peachy says, I think this this season, I think everyone kind of accepts that. That we're just a good team. We're a good team with a plan, and it's a plan that kind of works home and away to to an extent. I think we need to we need to have a little bit more variety for home games. I think, but for away games, I think the way the way we're set up for for most of those games is is absolutely perfect at the moment. Grand. All right. Well, let's move on to our next question, um, which uh, came from Stephen Darby via email. Stephen's based in Southampton. Glenn, I'm going to come to you first on this because uh, you've not answered on that, and then I'll come to you, Simon, and then I'll come to you, Steve, just so you can get your thinking caps on. Um, Stephen says, Hi, TSP. Ralph getting us to the top of the Premier League had me thinking about something. It's probably fair to say that alongside Pochettino and Cumin, Ralph is now one of our most successful and forward-thinking modern-day managers. But as all three of them largely had different squads to work with, if you had to pick one of the managers and one of the squads as your overall favourite, 
which would it be? And then Stephen said, for example, Pochettino had the likes of Klein, Fonte, Shaw, J-Rod, Lallana and Lambert. Koeman had Forster, Van Dijk, Mane, Wanyama, Schneidlin, Tadic and Powell. And Ralph has Walker, Peters, Prousey, Armstrong, Redmond, Ings and Shea. So which manager and which of those squads would you combine to make your overall favourite? Thanks, Stephen. So, Glenn, I know I've not given you much time to think about it, but what would you pick? <laughs> Wow. Off the top of my good head. Good question, without thinking, Stephen, by the way. Yeah, it is a good question. Um, and without thinking about it too much, I liked the the team of players that Koeman put out on the pitch, the Pella, Tadic, Mane team. I, I thought that team was exceptional. Um, but I, I always judge managers by how much they achieve with the, the resources that they've got. Um, and I would say at the moment that the, the manager that, has achieved the most with uh, with the least resources, if you like, is Ralph. So that that is my uh, that is my answer to that question. But I, you know, I think um, you could certainly make cases for for all of the squads of players. But I, I would I would say that the, the what we've got now is is probably on paper. I think a, a, a non-Southampton fan would probably say that this squad we've got now is probably weakest in terms of star names and star quality. And and that, for me, makes Ralph's achievement even better. I mean, there, there's an argument that both Pochettino and Koeman kind of underachieved a little bit with the, the quality of players that we had at the time. So, uh, so yeah, so I'd, I'd say Koeman's squad with, uh, with Ralph in charge. Yeah, I'm going to quickly jump in there because that's what I'd gone for as well. I mean, I think it's easy when uh, someone's in charge, but I think Ralph's just done an incredible job the last 18 months. And uh, that team that Koeman had, you know, watching the likes of Mane and Pallon and Tedic, uh, you know, it's so exciting to watch. And I think you just turned up every week thinking Saints were going to win, but arguably, uh, you know, more technically talented squad on paper. But uh, I think, uh, you know, you can't underestimate the amount of uh, fight and determination that the current squad is showing. So likewise, Stephen, just to jump in there quickly, uh, bearing in mind Glenn's answer, I would go for Ralph Hasen, who with Koeman's squad. Peachy, over to you. I think I'd go with Ralph. Um, I know there's probably a recency bias there. Um, but I think I'd also go for the 13-14 squad under Pochettino just because that's the one that's left me with the biggest feeling of what if because it did break up so quickly and spectacularly. Um, I know not all those players have gone on to reach the heights that we thought they would. But that is down to a variety of different circumstances. So I would have really have liked to have seen how that that talent-based squad, without injuries, without them leaving, under a manager like Pochettino or Ralph, um, mm. kick on, because I think it could have been something special. Yeah. I don't think any of us would argue with that. Steve? Um, I'm going to go... Um, go with the same as what yourself and, uh, and Glenn said and go with uh, Ralph and the Koeman squad. Um, just the, the balance in that Koeman squad was absolutely exceptional. Um, the way that we could attack um, with pace, but also with guile to break, break down um, sort of stubborn defences. Um, I think we still lack that, that little uh, bit of killer instinct every, every now and then. But yeah, I mean, ha- Hasen Hill was shown that he can get the best out of out of even even the most sort of seemingly mediocre players. Um, I mean, you look at the improvement um, in certain players in the last what year or so. Um, Jack Stevens was completely out of the team for months, and then suddenly comes back in and looks completely com- competent and at ease. Same with Yannick Vestergaard. Um, I mean, obviously Stevens has since Stevens since lost his, lost his place um, to Vestergaard, but Vestergaard has come in and has finally looked like the 18, 19 million pound centre-back that we thought we'd signed in the first place. Um, and that's, and a lot of that is down to coaching. And I think if we'd had, if we'd had Ralph with Koeman's squad, because Koeman, I mean, Koeman was, a, was an excellent manager for us, but I don't think he's necessarily a particularly good coach. Um, so I think if you took Ralph's coaching ability and put it with the squad that Koeman had, um, then, I mean, God knows what, what we, what we could have achieved. I guess the, the downside is that there was, there was such a lot of competition at the top end of the league around that time. Um, you had that dominant city team. Liverpool were kind of there or thereabouts with, um, with the, the Rogers side that just missed out and just slipped up, as we say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, um, obviously, obviously Chelsea have been dominant in, in various parts as well. I think realistically, 
where we finished that season under Koeman in sixth may even may still end up being as high as we could ever possibly have imagined at the time. But it would have been interesting to see whether the system that we are now playing would have transposed itself back then, sort of five five years or so ago, um, and whether whether that could have given us a shot at maybe. I mean, it's, I mean, what were we three points off the top four? Yeah, something like so that. Would, would you be able to overturn those those three those three points? those three points with marginal gains um, through coaching. Who knows? Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, really appreciate the question, Stephen. A good, uh, good one to get us all thinking. I'm sure if you guys are listening to this wherever you are in the world, I'm sure you're currently trying to work out what you'd uh, choose and how you go about it. So uh, thanks for that. And uh, just one final question, then, Steve. I'm going to come to you uh, again, and then Simon. I'll probably get your thoughts on it because it's an international-based uh, one, and I know you'll be covering uh, England probably uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, Trevor Taylor, who's one of our patrons, and I know Steve, you were talking about this offline with Glenn Dan and myself earlier. So I'm not saying we've got an answer, but potentially a view on this. Um, Trevor said just a thought but with England's game against Iceland in doubt because they played Denmark three days before and the issue with new Covid strain from Mink causing travel to be cancelled to Denmark could Yannick Vestergaard have to now self-isolate for two weeks when he gets back from international duty? Um, Obviously we don't know the exact answer to that um, at the moment but Steve I know you were sort of briefly discussing it earlier and uh, someone that's a little bit more travelled than I uh, potentially got a view on it. Yeah I mean as far as I'm aware there is a um, FIFA exemption available for clubs um, for these the, the international periods at the back end of this year. Um, so obviously the one last month and the one that's, that's just starting, um, whereby basically if there are COVID-related reasons, then clubs may um, refuse to release players for international duty. Um, so given the Denmark situation, yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible that the, that the club could invoke that and basically um, say, Tell Yannick, sorry, mate, you're not you're not going. We need you. We need you available immediately after the international break. So that's that's an option available to the club. Um, whether they would want to go down the um, the sort of thorny um, sort of argument argumentative sort of issue of that, whether um, Vestergaard obviously desperately wants to play for his country, and it's been. I mean, these are two big games for Denmark. They can they can still qualify for the Nations League finals. Whether there is an understanding between the club and the player that, that he can or can't go, um, I guess. Well, I mean, I guess we'll find out. But it's. I guess it's also possible that the government relent and say, well, actually, um, we'll we'll relax this for elite sports people because we know that they're in. Uh, bubbles and it's it's all very well controlled and and everything's okay. But we won't find that out until later in the week. The short short answer is yeah. I mean it, it could um, it could end up with Vestergaard having to isolate for two weeks, or the government might U turn again. And I mean let's let's face it, they've done that enough times in the last um, six months, haven't they? So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. No, exactly. Uh, I suppose that's the thing, Si, isn't it? With the the sort of protocols and everything changing all the time, uh, I suppose even clubs like Saints, you know, it's it's having to make their mind up on what they're wanting to do. And, you know, Vestergaard, I'm sure, will want to play for his uh, nation if he can do. As Steve says, they're important games. But likewise, he's obviously got himself into form and in the side with Saints, and it'll be frustrating for him if he then has to sit out. As I alluded to earlier with Vestergaard, I, he, I was never one of those that had completely written him off, but I had kind of assumed his he might be better off somewhere else. And I, his diagonal passing is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just really impressive. Um, I just, yeah, I, I really like what he does. There's obviously negatives to his game, but that's 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 by the by. The problem with well, England was supposed to be playing New Zealand on Thursday, and New Zealand had the foresight to say, look, these things are changing too much for us to have a game. In, the FA don't know whether the Nations League game can go ahead uh, against Iceland. Um, they're waiting for government updates. I mean, I'm off this weekend, probably due. I need to sleep off the hangover of Friday night. So, but if they haven't got government clarification on what it is, because these new rules re- re- relating to Denmark and the mink thing um, doesn't it doesn't uh, have elite sports people exempt. So there is a real complication there about mixing, returning to Denmark, coming back, because as it stands, he would have to. Isolate when you well. I, I'm not. In, I, I'm not an expert, but if the FA aren't, then it's going to be one to watch, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Because you wait for as much as we've mentioned the rules, as Steve mentioned the rules about clubs can uh, kibosh uh, call-ups in this period due to concerns and things like that. You uh, wait for also have had it written in that they can play certain matches that can't go ahead in countries uh, at neutral venues. So 
whether that means that the Denmark players will go to look, I you presume that they'd be going to Denmark right away. But you'd also like to think that they'd had common sense to wait to find out what the situation would be. So perhaps they go to a Hungary or a I don't know, a country, I think Hungary was one of the neutral venue countries that was initially floated by UEFA. That's why I mentioned them. So maybe if they go there, then that will allow for the the matches to go ahead. It doesn't really matter if it's in Denmark, if there's no fans. So maybe that's the get around and maybe that's what will come out in the next few days. I'm not sure. Mm. Just finally, Glenn, I suppose this all adds up, doesn't it, for Ralph spoke in the last few weeks about the frustration of international breaks and players going into countries and then what happens to them afterwards. And as a manager that's obviously got a, you know, he's going to have a busy run of fixtures after this international break up till Christmas. And as we know from Stuart Armstrong's last, um, you know, um, trip up to Scotland and things like that, you're almost not sure who's going to come back and what state they're going to be in. And for a manager, that's quite sort of unsettling. Yeah, it's a nightmare, but it's not. It's not just Ralph, is it? It's every manager. Um, and I'm, sh- you know, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering about the whole. Well, I have been wondering about the whole playing international matches in a global pandemic. It, it just seemed, you know, when we're all trying to contain things, um, one way or another, and we're, we're sending loads of people abroad um, to, to play in some games that, you know, probably don't need it don't need to be played right now. They could be played later on. I mean, every international break, regardless of whether you're in a pandemic or not, is a, is a bit of a nightmare because, I mean, we had a situation a while ago where we had a we had a couple of African players who, oh, it was Mane, wasn't it? And every time he came back, he had to miss a game because he'd get back on the Friday and we were playing on the Saturday. So international breaks being a pain in the bum of, for club managers is, is nothing new. Um, it's, it's just worse now. And, um, yeah... Um, Stuart Armstrong's the one you worry about, like you say, because <laughs> he, always, he yeah. always seems to have something. I think we, we feel it more keenly because we haven't got a squad full of international players to um, to, to replace any missing ones with. And if, if they get injured on international duty, it just seems slightly worse, I think. It, it is what it is. The players are going to go. Yannick's going to go where he's told to go, I'm sure. I don't think the club will pull him out of anything. And uh, we'll just have to cross fingers and hope for the best. It will be interesting to see what happens, though, on that. In Italy, I was seeing today that certain regions have stopped players travelling abroad with their nations for, for different reasons. So every country and every region is going to have different things. Ours is down to whether our government have actually a clear idea on what's going to happen with elite sports people. And as I said, you just got to hope that things are... It's important matches with Denmark, as Steve said, but is it more? Is it worth the health concerns i think international football is worth continuing with but there does need to be a bit more some common sense thinking there you go well appreciate all your answers guys and uh, yeah obviously thank you very much for the questions from callum Stephen, and uh, trevor you're listening to the total saints podcast going to the heart of all things saints fc well, that's it for this week's podcast, the Top of the League special. It might never happen again, being top of me, not the podcast. So it's important for all of us to treasure the moment. A big thanks to Simon, Stephen, Glenn for their time. We may be back next week in some form or another, depending on availability of certain personnel this week. Otherwise, we'll be taking the weekend off as it's international break ahead of the busy run up to Christmas. Until then, while not wanting to get too carried away, obviously, I thought we could play out with a slightly different song this episode. Have a good week, guys. Oh, apologies, um, we played the May 2021 episode track there by accident. Um, on a serious note, though, a big thanks to Mark and James of the Red Stripes for sending us the Southampton in Europa 2016 MP3 version. Apparently, they're working on the 2020 King Ralph Takes Us Higher follow-up track already. So look forward to having this stuck in your head all week. The European push has officially begun, guys. Up the Saints and keep marching in. Southampton in Europa Southampton in Europa Southampton in Europa Southampton in Europa Don't tie us to back Don't get attacked Redmond off the wing Everybody sings Leave it takes us higher Leave it takes us higher Leave it takes us, leave it takes us Stop in Europe, stop in Europe, stop in Europe, stop in Europe.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.